Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back. You may be thinking, I thought she was done with Proverbs, or how can she still be talking about this book? But here I am. Today's episode is a little bit of a bonus to go with our series on Proverbs. Actually, I just finished our study on Proverbs last month with a group of women in person at my church. And as I was preparing for the last week of that study and doing a bit more research, I decided I wanted to tackle Proverbs 31, which if you followed the podcast episodes, we did not talk about, particularly we didn't talk about it in the episode covering the theme of women in the book of Proverbs. Well, as I was doing the research for this in-person class I was teaching, I decided that and discovered really that it was an essential element to studying the book of Proverbs. So I had read and listened to some really incredible resources that moved me in my thinking about this super familiar chapter of scripture. So I realized that leaving it out of the study was actually leaving out the most essential bookend to a study on Proverbs. So this episode is devoted to just Proverbs 31 as a way to sort of round out the study on Proverbs. You could listen to it as a standalone episode, or you could go back all the way to episode four, episode four, when I did an introduction to Proverbs and follow the episodes through. But either way, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Today, we're going to look at Proverbs 31 and talk about what we think the scripture is teaching us. So we've all slept since last talking about Proverbs, including myself. So let's do a quick recap. Here are the highlights. This is what you need to know about Proverbs, particularly if you're just picking this episode up with no context. The first thing is that Proverbs is a book of Hebrew poetry. That's the literary style. It's written by or credited to King Solomon, who was the son of David and the king that God appointed to build the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, point two. Now, King Solomon was given wisdom and wealth from God to rule over his kingdom, and Proverbs is generally considered the wisdom of Solomon. It covers all manner of topics like like how we use our wealth, how we use our words, how we relate to our neighbors, and just basic instructions for living a wise and a flourishing life. The literary structure is poetry beginning with long-form poetry that's sort of a dialogue between a father and a son. And then there's a large chunk in the middle, chapters 10 through 22, that are consistent with most traditional Hebrew poetry of that time. And the Hebrew word for that is mashal. And this was sort of like brief, concise, tell-it-like-it-is poetry that's not necessarily in any particular order. So these are, the mashal is really probably what you think of, most people think of when they think of the book of Proverbs. And a modern equivalent to mashal would be something like, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. 
Finally, and arguably the most important for our discussion today, like most poetry, Proverbs uses all kinds of literary devices to communicate its principles. So it uses personification, juxtaposition, tons of imagery, themes. If you are a 10th grade English teacher, you love a good jaunt through Proverbs. You may remember that Proverbs also offers us something that is wonderfully unique to a biblical text, a prologue. It tells us right in the beginning who wrote it, what it's about, and what the author hopes the reader or listener will gain by reading it, aka learning objectives. How nice is that? So listen to this. This is Proverbs 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life doing what is right and just and fair. And it goes on, let the wise listen and add to their learning. This is what Proverbs is about. Now, what comes next is a series of speeches within speeches between a father, arguably Solomon, and his sons or his students. It's in the context of these speeches that we meet our two central characters to the book of Proverbs. And without first meeting these characters, we can't fully appreciate Proverbs 31. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. This is chapter one, verse 20, and this is where we meet Lady Wisdom, but she's not the only woman in the story. In chapter two, we meet her counterpart. It, Wisdom, will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife and her seductive words, who's left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirit of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. And so this is Lady Folly. Sometimes in scripture, she's called the adulteress. But for our discussions, we've just met our first, our two female characters, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. So wisdom and its supposed opposite, foolishness, are given human-like qualities, personification, and presented to us as women who are calling out for people to follow them. They're both invitational, but their motivations and sometimes their methods are markedly different. Now, for the sake of time and the fact that I already recorded an episode about the theme of women in Proverbs, we won't go into like the nitty gritty of these two opposing characters. Episode 12 can offer you more context on that. But what you need to know before we move on is that the author of Proverbs is making it quite clear from the beginning to the end to the listener that Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are not actually real women, but rather literary devices. Lady Wisdom being the personification of wisdom, she's pointing us back to God's wisdom in the garden, his creative power at work that establishes for us the way to life and invites us in. She is not actually a real woman. So with all of that foundation, let's jump to our epilogue 
And yes, Proverbs 31 is called the epilogue of Proverbs. Remember how we started with a prologue and how fitting that we also get an epilogue. So before we start, I want to ask you, what preconceived ideas do you have about Proverbs 31? Maybe nothing. Maybe you're like, Emily, what are you even hinting at? But maybe you have some. I think most of us that grew up in any proximity to the church in the 90s in this part of the world have some preconceived ideas about what Proverbs 31 is about. Maybe you've heard the phrase virtuous woman and you were taught that this is a passage about how to be a virtuous woman, right? But I wonder if this presentation of the passage doesn't actually fit with what we've learned about Proverbs thus far. What if Proverbs 31 isn't a prescriptive passage of how women ought to live? What if it's not an example of an impossible standard of virtue that we're all supposed to live up to? Let's dig in. If you have your Bibles or your app, Bible app, turn with me now to Proverbs 31. Start by noticing at the top, if you have some subheadings in your Bible like I do, it's going to say something like sayings of King Lemuel, or it might say the sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. So right away, we're like, wait, I thought Proverbs was written by Solomon, but here actually in chapter 30 and 31, we get the names of these two random kings, and they're credited as the authors of these last two chapters. Now, I was curious about that, and so I pulled the thread. And there's a few random lines of thought about who King Lemuel was or who these chapters were actually written by. So there's a Jewish tradition that sometimes says that Lemuel is another name for Solomon, which would mean it's Bathsheba, her wisdom, right? Because she's his mother. Now, that's not widely accepted. Um The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, has said that it's God speaking, but God doesn't have a mother, so that's a little confusing. And then finally, and the the most commonly accepted thought is that Lemuel was a foreign king from the the region of Massa or a northern Arabian area called Massa. That's generally um, what is accepted. So with that context, I want to jump down to verse 10 through 31, read it to you, talk about the three questions. What does it say? Why did it matter at the time? And why does it still matter to us? A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. 
When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Okay, let's break it down just a little bit. If you're studying this on your own, maybe you pause this episode right now and make a list of all the things that you just learned from this passage. I'm going to break it down really quickly for you. What does it say? Well, we just met a woman of incredible character who does a ton of stuff. (laughs) She works incredibly hard with her hands. She's an entrepreneur. She's trading, buying fields. She runs a vineyard, but she also cares for the poor and the needy. She sews. She's creative. She's fashionable. She wears beautiful clothing and she's got a great husband who's respected She speaks wisdom and instruction. She's a teacher and she's wise and she has no anxiety or fear. So she laughs at the days ahead because her future is secure. She's an incredibly intimidating woman. What I find interesting, and this is really the first clue that she's not real, (laughs) is the fact that she never sleeps. Did you catch that? So she gets up while it's still dark. But later, it also tells us that her lamp never goes out at night. So I don't know how that works, but I have to sleep at night. And this is our first clue that she's not real. So I want to tell you a little bit about what this, um, what we know historically about this particular section of scripture, and that's going to help answer the question, why did it matter? What would, at the time, a student of Solomon, a student of wisdom literature, what would they understand about this passage that maybe um, as modern believers reading our current translation of scripture, maybe we're missing. The most important thing is that this is an alphabetical acrostic poem. If you remember what an acrostic poem is, that would be like where each line begins with a letter that spells something out. Well, this is an alphabetical acrostic poem with each line beginning with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So right away, if I could read Hebrew, I would catch that. I would catch that what I'm actually reading is an acrostic poem. Now, I did a little bit of research on acrostic Hebrew poetry, and it turns out it's a thing. (laughs) Scholars believe that this was used to demonstrate completeness of thought about a certain theme. And it was even structured in a way to help with memorization. So it would be like at 
a, a complete poem, complete acrostic poem with the alphabet structured so that a young Hebrew student could memorize it more eas- easily to understand a complicated or um, lofty theme. So it's used in the Psalms multiple time, times. Psalm 25, 34, 111, 112, 119. That's the longest uh, chapter in the entire Bible. And Psalm 145, which I'm sure if you went and looked it up, it would be familiar to you. Some of Lamentations is also thought to be an acrostic poem. Why does this matter? Well, in other words, the strong woman of Proverbs 31 is not an afterthought or an addition but a summation of wisdom. If you've read through all of Proverbs or done the study with us, you would notice that some of her descriptors, some of the Proverbs 31's descriptors, have a direct link to lady wisdom earlier in the text. Verse 10 says she's worth far more than rubies. Verse 26, she's got faithful instruction on her tongue. Verse 25, she laughs at the days to come. These are all hyperlinks or connected to Lady Wisdom and how she is described earlier in the text. And at the very end, where do we find the Proverbs 31 woman? She's at the city gate receiving praise. Do you remember when we first met her, where she was making her speech, where we first met Lady Wisdom in chapter one, she's at the city gate giving a speech. My most favorite point about Proverbs 31 is when we look at this word that we have all heard as virtuous, the word that's, that's often translated as virtuous. It's where we get this idea of Proverbs 31 being about how to be a virtuous woman. This word actually means something totally different. It's not about purity as we might connect virtue in our minds. It's um, H2428, high yield. And this is a masculine noun meaning valor. It's defined as strength, efficiency. It's used in relation to an army. And the last two are my favorite. One, in some places, it's used to describe horse strength or the strength of horses, particularly in their legs. And then this one will just make you giggle, virility. In some places, the same word is used to describe virility. Now, if you can remember back to 1 Kings, when the queen of Sheba came to test Solomon's wisdom, she came with a great caravan. And this same word is used to describe the queen of Sheba's caravan, this valor that came with her, her strength. What I want to point out, and this is something that I just realized in my own study, is that the queen of Sheba, we don't know whether she was married. There's no mention of whether there was a king of Sheba, but she was an independent, at least we can say that, powerful black woman. She was likely from the region of Ethiopia who came to test and challenge and gain wisdom next to the most powerful and wealthy man in the world. So this is a powerful, independent black woman. And this same word is being used to describe her. How cool is that? 
The other place that it's used that's very much worth mentioning, honestly, it almost makes me tear up as, I, as I've talked about it. It's from Ruth, the story of Ruth in chapter 3, verse 11. Boaz calls Ruth a woman of valor, Hayil. He uses this word to describe her, the same word that is used to describe the Proverbs 31 woman. But what's extra beautiful about how this descriptor is used at this time, when Boaz calls Ruth Hayil, she's a single woman. She has no children. She's a widow. She's poor. She's a foreign woman. So her valor has absolutely nothing to do with her marital status, her ability to bear children, her domestic prowess, or even her status in the community. Her valor has nothing to do with those things. So why does all of this still matter? Simply put, I think we've gotten it wrong culturally. We've held out the Proverbs 31 woman as an impossible standard for women to live up to when in actuality, this passage is not really about women at all. Not any more than Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are about actual women. What we're actually seeing is a demonstration and a summation of wisdom characterized, personified as a woman displaying all the excellent qualities of what God's wisdom looks like when it's at work in the world. And isn't that so much better? What's even better is that God's wisdom is freely available to us. Remember that James chapter one tells us that God gives it generously without finding fault. And in both the Queen of Sheba and Ruth, we see that their proximity, our proximity to or possession of God's wisdom, God's valor, has nothing to do with our position, our power, or the ways in which we fit into the culture's description of what it means to be a woman. Why does it still matter? Because none of us fit the mold of this unattainable Proverbs 31 woman. And thinking of her as a standard by which we measure modern Christian women has left us all feeling terrible about ourselves. Lest we never sleep, bear tons of kids, marry a rich man, and enjoy sewing, we can't be noble or esteemed? No. Understanding the passage of scripture as the beautiful summation of God's wisdom at work frees us to ask God for his wisdom like Solomon and just be filled with the grace to execute it. Whether we're nursing babies, running companies, caring for aging parents, or simply trying to serve wherever we're planted. As we close today, I want to leave you with a prayer. Father, Put in us what we cannot put in ourselves. Let your wisdom seep into my thoughts and my heart so that it overflows in all I do. Rather than feel discouraged or disillusioned by this scripture, help me remember you chose a woman as a means to, to display your wisdom for us. Help me be a woman of wisdom.
Hey, thanks for listening. This episode was really fun for me. I loved studying it. If you want to go deeper or you have questions about anything that I said, please go to my website where in the show notes, I'm going to link some articles and some podcast episodes that I used to help me understand this more in depth. And I also want to encourage you to go back and listen to the episodes on Proverbs so that you can get the full context of what we're talking about here. With that, I've got an interview with a dear friend from my church coming out next week. She does some incredible work as a doula to refugee women, and I'm really excited for you to hear her story. So tune in next week for that and have a great week.